HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Our master cheesemaker program is one of the only two in the world. So it's no wonder every master in America has called Wisconsin home. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Jake Neller, co-founder and CEO of Sweet Nothings, a CPG brand focused on creating truly good-for-you snacks, starting with their line of frozen spoonable smoothie cups. Sweet Nothings recently expanded into Shelf Stable, very excited to hear about that, launching a line of nut butter bites, and is launching a new innovation in the frozen space later this year. You can find them at Thrive Market, Fresh Direct, and Amazon Fresh, and they're launching nationwide with Sprouts this month. Welcome, Jake. Thank you. It's great to be here. I've, uh, I think I've listened to every episode at least once, so it's fun <laughs> to be on the other side. <laughs> yeah. Is it? Is it what you expected? Yeah. I mean, I, <laughs> I guess we'll see at the yeah. end of the hour. Wouldn't we'll it be I've, funny I've... if I got really like hardcore and aggressive, <laughs> like hard hitting questions, cornered you into, you know, yet. yeah, like after three years of, you know, tell me about yourself. Um, yeah, no, I've heard but, the thank you Armin at the end of every show. And now I got to, uh, to, to meet virtually meet Armin myself. Yes. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Um, Okay, so you and I have known each other for some time, even though we've never actually met. Um, but you are also, um, you know, you teach a class at Stanford, and um, I've been a guest lecturer there, which has been super fun. You seem to be, I don't know, a younger male version of me in a lot of ways, just in terms of the way that you think about the business and building the brand and messaging. Um, I don't know. There's, there's something just sort of like academic, I think in a good way about the way that you think about this stuff. So I've been really looking forward to talking. So yeah, happy you're here. 
same here. And I, and I know we've discussed it briefly, but with Sprout's launch timing and creating a new subcategory, there's so many, even though sauce and spoonable smoothies are quite different, there do seem to be many similarities in the, the challenges and the paths we're going down. Yeah, for sure. And we're both launching at Sprouts the same time. So we should have a spoonable smoothie sauce party there. We are in. I love okay. it. Um, Okay, so tell me, tell me the story about Sweet Nothings, how it came to be, how you came to be in it. Yeah, absolutely. So the story really starts with my co-founder, Beth. Um, Beth has been an entrepreneur for the last 15 plus years and um, really felt like she was struggling to find, as, as she puts it, truly healthy ready-to-eat items at her local grocery stores. Um, She had been toying around in the kitchen with a variety of ideas and eventually settled on what we're now calling our spoonable smoothies, Mm -hmm. where we basically are blending together fruits, nuts, and seeds into single-serve, roughly 100-calorie, although that's not not a focus, cups um, that are plant-based and organic and no added sugar and really... Um, just trying to satisfy that sweet snack need. Yep. And how did she find you? So we had a mutual friend. I was in my second year at business school at the time. And one of my classmates actually worked for Beth's husband. Mm -hmm. And she had approached this classmate of mine, a, a woman named Valerie, and said, hey, I have this product. It's awesome. My family loves it. All of our friends love it. Who in your class is really passionate about food and would maybe want to help me out? And so Valerie connected the two of us. Um, at the time, I was working on about 10 different ideas as well. And yeah, I was going to ask my... you, were you, did you go to business school having worked in CPG or did you go to business school with another background and wanted to be an entrepreneur? Like what, what was the plan? Yeah, so I had mostly worked on the investing side prior to, um, prior to business school. And then for six months before business school, I went and worked at Impossible Foods. Um, it was an investment we had made at, at, in my prior job, and I had found the whole story fascinating, how they were trying to reach consumers, how they were trying to be different than the veggie burgers of the past. Mm-hmm. They had already started to build some momentum when I joined. The burger was in three restaurants, so there was <laughs> some momentum, but it very much felt like um, the blind leading the blind, so to speak, where it was... Um, it was exciting and there was momentum, but there was still a ton to learn. Right. So two questions I have that you just sparked. One is when I go talk to Columbia Business School, they, the, the, a bulk of the students, I don't want to say the majority, most of the students that I interact with have done their turn in CPG because they want to go into investing and they feel (laughs) that the operating experience gives them a leg up when they head over to a venture fund. Um, You went in the opposite direction. So I'm just kind of curious. You knew what you were getting into. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. Tell me what that thought tree was like for you. (laughs) Yeah, I I mean, I think part of its personality, but I just really like was always eager to roll up my sleeves and get in the weeds on the finance side. Everything felt more conceptual and and high level Mm -hmm. strategic. Of course, there's exceptions and investors who really get in the weeds. But Mm -hmm. for the most part, you just 
by the sheer number of investments you make and potential investments you meet with, you're going to be a little bit more high level. And those six months at Impossible were like the most fun I had ever had at work, <laughs> like yeah. digging into everything, being yep. involved in these decisions on channels and pricing and wording and this and that. And it was just energizing. Like I left every go, night it's, excited. It's interesting. It's funny because it kind of goes back to like what I inadvertently introduced you as not meaning to, but just, it kind of occurred to me, you know, there's something where theory meets practice. And it seems like that's the place that you like to live. And I, that's, I think what connects the two of us. And it can be really theoretical when you're looking at a model all day, or you're deciding whether or not the category is, you know, ripe for disruption and all of that. But when you are also interested in just building something that did not exist before, whether it's like a system or a product or a brand or anything, um, the only way to really do that is to do it, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. And I also love on the operating side, how diverse and eclectic of people you get to interact mm -hmm. with every day. Yep. Which can also be a challenge, which we'll get to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, and then the second thing, going back a few minutes, you said a lot of learnings from those six months at Impossible. You know, at that point, they had raised a bunch of money. They were in, I'm assuming when you say three restaurants, you mean like three restaurant chains, or do you mean three actual, <laughs> like, no, it was doors. three restaurants. It oh, was, really? uh, wow, it was, was Momofuku Nishi here in New York. Uh -huh. um, I think Jardinaire in, in San Francisco. And then I believe it was Crossroads Kitchen in LA. I'm forgetting. And oh maybe it was five, but it was it was definitely single digit. And so what would you say is the one, if if you had to sort of like sum it up into like the one thing that you either strive for or strive to avoid? Um, while you're building your business, what would you say? Yeah, I guess there's probably one of each. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, on the on the strive to avoid side of things, I think I've really prided, like made it a priority at Sweet Nothings to keep things lean um, mm -hmm. and not raise hundreds of millions mm -hmm. of dollars and have these grand plans. I think all of well, that. We're not tech is, companies, right? <laughs> right, <Just> right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but we are not. That is very real. We don't have tech company margins and um, and tech company platforms necessarily. But mm -hmm. I just think trying to be really disciplined on the hiring side and the spending side, knowing CVG is expensive and you have to invest. And absolutely, we've we've mm -hmm. raised money, but also trying to do it all in a way that feels sustainable with the yep. goal of creating something profitable at some point in the foreseeable future versus yep. constantly just being in this rat race of having to, yep, to grow top line yep. to raise more money to grow top line to raise more money. Yeah. And then strive for strive for is just, I thought the culture of intellectual curiosity was so much fun where I think a blessing and a curse of impossible in those early days was sort of the lack of industry expertise that a lot mm -hmm. of the young, the, the early um, employees had, but that led to, I thought really rigorous debate and analysis on what made sense. It wasn't, Hey, so-and-so comes from 25 years at, at Nestle. Pepsi, right. Right. This is how we're doing things. It was, yep. Oh, like, 
I don't, it's actually a good question. How should we do that? And what are the different frameworks we could use to think about the right answers? And just that culture of questioning and thinking and prying and saying, just because it's been done a certain way doesn't mean it needs to be done that way in the future is something I've hopefully um, built and definitely something I've tried to build in our culture. Yeah, it's funny, you know, you're talking about growth and profitability, profitability. And I, you know, I always go back, I mean, you've listened to me say it probably more than I should, but like this sailboat, right? Like you're, you're trying to catch the wind, but you're also trying not to tip over. And I feel like this, this whole business is this balance of, you know, you don't, you want, you want growth because it makes you appealing and it gives you momentum. And obviously, as you said, it's expensive. So it'd be great if some of that can come from sales, but you also don't want to be, you know, raising a ridiculous amount of money and then just being on that, you know, loop where you get diluted to, to nothing and you're kind of constantly fundraising and miserable. So there's that balance. And then I think on your culture point, there's this balance of, you know, where I find myself right now, where you have all of these really eager, really smart, really curious people trying to figure stuff out. But then every once in a while, you just also need someone who's like, here's what needs to go on the sell sheet. Like, here's what (laughs) needs to be, you know, all the way from that to like, here's how we're going to run deer systems. Like, and I'm constantly... I, there's a part of me that's very attracted to just hiring a few people that have just like seen this rodeo before and done this and can just like tell me what to do. But there's this other part of me that's like, but those people aren't going to be doing it the Haven's Kitchen way. And we've built this really great culture. And I don't, I'm struggling a little bit to figure out how to bring people in to this ecosystem, knowing that the ecosystem will change with every person that comes in, but it really is starting to be time to in-house a bunch of the functions that we've been outsourcing for the last three years. So it, it seems like you, you've thought a lot about that, um, just judging from the way that you've hired. Um, so I'd love to touch on that a little bit if you can. Yeah. And I I think on the impossible piece, like what I loved was this like intellectual debate that existed internally Mm -hmm. where it really felt democratic on whose voice mattered and like or or it didn't matter who had the who had the idea. If it was a good idea, let's move forward with it. Yeah. So I totally agree with you. Like I knew very little about CPG before starting this business, um, zero before starting an impossible, but still very little before starting this. And I think as we've been able to grow and bring in some folks who have that experience, it's been hugely helpful. Our, our sales director, um, worked at plum organics and Mm -hmm. Campbell's and our marketing director, RX bar and general mills and and Mm -hmm. Davide, who, you know, it comes from Hugh. And so it's, it's these folks with great industry experience, but I think, between the culture being what it is internally and all of them seeing success in prior roles, but seeing mm-hmm. it in different ways allows us to continue to have that balance of, okay, these people know what they're doing. They know what to put on a sell sheet. Speaking of deer, <laughs> we literally, I know we've never talked about before, but we just finished implementing deer mm-hmm. this month. Like they, they know what they're doing on that front and 
everyone has strong opinions loosely held on how we approach everything else. So let's let's decide how we support at Sprouts or let's decide which retailers we prioritize um, going after this year. Um, And let's let the best idea win, not just this is how I did it at this place in the past. That that sounds awesome. All right. Before we head to a break, I just want to hear teaching at Stanford. What what do you teach? What I mean, I was thinking about continuing at NYU and I honestly just didn't have the time and I can't handle grading homework. But tell me about it and tell me why you continue to do it and what you're learning and what you're enjoying about it. Yeah, and we're actually on a break this quarter too. My um, my co-lecturer is in Korea launching a new Stanford center in Korea. So mm-hmm. we're not teaching again till the spring. And I'm like, how did it's I fit that hour in every yeah, yeah. <laughs> Totally, yeah. totally. <laughs> um, I mean, I, I just, I've loved doing it. I went to Stanford for both undergrad and business school and know that the opportunities I've had in my life are so much directly related to having those experiences. So mm-hmm. on just the fulfillment side, it's nice to feel like I'm giving back mm-hmm. in a way to that community. And I also just think the world of CPG is never a world or, or food more broadly. The class is food design and technology. Um, mm-hmm. And it's out of the Stanford uh, School of Design, the D school. Mm-hmm. But I feel like as an undergrad, I was basically told my options were to work for a tech company, do consulting, or do investment banking. And as I found the world of food and the amazing supportive community and how much fun it is to work in food, like what I love about doing it and why I keep doing it is because now every year I help several students get internships in Mm -hmm. food or full-time roles. Like maybe some of them were interested anyway. And I know it's a sexier industry today than it was maybe when I was an undergrad, but it's just really fun to introduce the industry and what a career path in the industry could look like to folks who maybe have a narrower understanding of like what the right quote unquote job is after undergrad. Very cool. And what are you, are you learning? Are you learning anything? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's basically my version of this, right? Like I get to, um, I get to ask really interesting, accomplished people to come and teach for an hour. And I'm probably asking half the questions. And I say like, Oh, explain to the students how this works. But half the time it's for me too, you know? (laughs) Totally. Yeah, it's been, um, I actually went back to my, I think it was like my third episode or something. And it, I, I had Derek Quanton from Bonza and he was the head of operations. And I literally said, I feel like Bridget Jones, like, so, you know, when she interviews like the, you know, the, I don't know. I just watched it. I don't have to go into it, but I basically was like, so what is operations? Right. Literally. And he was like, what? And I was like, what is operations? And he was like, um, it's making the, it's everything from like acquiring the things to make the thing, making the thing. And then like, once the thing is out of your hands, it's not operations. I was like, great. Okay. On to like, I had no clue. I look back and I'm like, you know, thank goodness all these people gave me their time. And actually, I, I mean, not that my questions have gotten that much more sophisticated, but obviously <laughs> as the company's grown up, so, so of my questions, but it's kind of funny to look back. I mean, yeah. And, you know. and it's so, it's more impressive to get people to, to come on here, especially in the early days versus 
for me, it's so easy to say, yeah, hey, do you want to come guest lecture school. at Stanford? And everyone's yeah. like, yeah, I'd yeah. love to do that. No, it's great, though. I mean, it's a good, it, it works. Okay, yeah. we're going to take a little break, and then we'll be right back and talk about all things sweet nothing. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. In Wisconsin, cheese is our thing. Wisconsin is the only state in the country that requires a license to make cheese. From curds to cheddar, blue to brick, Wisconsin cheesemakers can do it all. We blend tradition with innovation to create an incredible variety of cheeses that you just can't get anywhere else. You've heard of a PhD, but have you heard of a PH cheese? otherwise known as the Wisconsin Master Cheesemaker Program. This rigorous study of cheese is an elite accomplishment earned by only 80 talented cheesemakers in Wisconsin, and the program is only one of two in the world. Becoming a master cheesemaker takes 13 years and is basically like a doctorate in a specific variety of cheese with intense requirements to succeed. Our Master Cheesemaker Program allows makers to perfect both the art and science of their craft in a tradition so rich you can taste it. Find your next favorite cheese and meet our makers at wisconsincheese.com. I'm back with Jake Neller, CEO of Sweet Nothings. So there's a couple things about sales that I want to throw at you, and then you can pick which one you want to talk about first. Okay. Great. Okay. Number one is channel. So you started um, in basically food service at corporate offices. Then you got hit with a pandemic. And now you're focused more on supermarkets. I don't know about the D2C. I'd like to hear about channel. Number two is frozen. You are clearly innovating in shelf stable. I think I can imagine why, but I'd love your thoughts. Number three is this merchandising unlock, because you had mentioned to me that, you know, moving away from being in the better for you ice cream area over to where the frozen and like the bagged frozen fruit is, has been an unlock for you. And I think that's something I'd really like to talk about because... We don't often think as granularly, I guess, in terms of like, where do you want to be? And we don't know exactly yet um, until a little bit after launch. And even then, we have to negotiate that with the buyers and figure out what are our benchmarks. And that's kind of the situation we find ourselves in. So pick a door and then (laughs) we'll pick the other doors after. Yeah, I think I think let's start at door three okay. while we're here. Yeah. So, you know, I think both of us are, and everyone who listens knows, you know, we are carving out this new category. Sauce is not new, but sauce in the refrigerated section is new, even though dressing isn't new, and sauce in a pouch, and sauce that has, you know, multiple different uses. Similarly, um, you know, you wouldn't think that sort of a fruit blend, spoonie, you know, spoonable smoothie, um, 
you know, would have sort of challenges of where does it go? Um, but I guess where does it go optimally is the big question. So tell me about that little path for you. Yes, I think the path really started as sort of cliche as it sounds from listening to our customers and like mm -hmm. what they thought of the product, how they would explain it to us, right? Just asking people who had bought it. If you were explaining to a friend what you just ate, what was that? And when are you eating it? And why are you eating it then? And pretty early on, we found that a lot of our customers were eating this at 10 a.m. or 3 p.m. Mm -hmm. they, they weren't thinking of this as a replacement for their indulgent after dinner dessert. I mean, right. like, I, I never would um, make an argument that our strawberry holds a light to Van Leeuwen strawberry. You know, like if I'm in the mood for ice cream, I want to I want to eat ice cream. Mm -hmm. And I think as we heard our consumers tell us when they That's were eating cool. this, mm -hmm. what occasions they were eating this, a light bulb went off in our hand of uh, our head of like we're almost too healthy to be mm -hmm. in the better for you ice cream area you mm -hmm. know like we're there's better, great better, better right <laughs> right there's great better for you ice creams that use coconut sugar instead of cane sugar and use this instead of that mm -hmm. and totally agree that they are better for you than um a, a pint of hagen dogs let's say but we really, as as you described in the intro, like we're like, this is truly good for you. This is antioxidant rich, nutrient dense, right. like whole organic fruit. It's not fruit juice. It's not fruit juice blended with sugar. Like it is as real and no added sugar as it gets. Which is going to potentially disappoint someone who has in their brain that it's a better for you ice cream. Exactly, right. exactly. And, and, and our form factor doesn't help, right? Like as we tried to find co-packers, it was pretty clear we were going to need to produce this product in single serve ice cream cups, mm -hmm. just the nature of the beast. There aren't that many other options for a frozen co-packer at this size going right. through the process we go through. So between the form factor and the no added sugar and being frozen, that was definitely the case where we heard the positives I mentioned, but we also would hear from a consumer who was biting into this, expecting it to taste like chocolate mm -hmm. ice cream or peanut butter ice cream, that it wasn't creamy enough or it wasn't mm -hmm. sweet enough. And we'd be like, oh no, we know, like, don't, don't compare That's us to that. Right, yeah. right, right. Compare us to the acai bowl you're eating. So um, interesting because I remember talking to Federico from Chobani and he was sort of, you know, when we were in that incubator, he was the first person who taught me like, you have to go in, even though you're a baby, you have to go in with conviction about where you want to be. And, you know, with us, it's like, do we want to be in, you know, plant-based? Do we want to be in produce? Do we want to be in specialty? Do we want to be in deli? You know, they're, it's, they're still trying to work that out. <laughs> um, everyone has a different, you know, we've talked about this ad nauseum on this, on this podcast, because it's, it's our particular issue, but, you know, are you able, are you in positions with retailers to say like, I know that you think we should be next to the better for you ice cream, but actually you should put us over here. And how much of the time do they listen and how do you prove that out to them? Yeah, I, I think that advice is great. And I wish I had had that advice when we started trying we to transition have conviction, over. We didn't know. Yeah, you know? yeah. yeah. Now we go in with a lot of conviction and we spend a few slides on it in, in a presentation of 
sweet nothings is not ice cream. I think it's the headline of one of mm-hmm. our one of our slides in our pitch deck of just explaining we now have enough data. I know I think you had the the um social nature team on mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. Um we've now through social nature had enough survey data from post-trial consumers on when they eat it and where they expect to find it and why they like it for certain occasions that we can point to. And that's now an N of thousands versus a few dozen people around a table saying it, right. where we can point to why that's the case. And I think can really help make the incremental argument to these buyers, particularly these frozen fruit buyers on why this makes more sense than the third bag of frozen blueberries, right? Right. And we can look through that data for some retailers, at least where we have it and say, hey, 80% of your frozen blueberry sales come from your top skew. Keep two of your three, but in place of that third, put blueberry sweet nothings. It's going to be an incremental purchase. Instead of just a $7.99 bag of blueberries, they'll buy that and two sweet nothings cups and you've just almost doubled their ring size. Right. And are they, I mean, are the are the buyers generally kind of commodity-esque buyers or are they, do they get brands in the way that like an ice cream buyer understands brand building and lifestyle brand and all that? You know, I mean, I think, you know, we had Seal the Seasons on a couple of weeks ago and those guys are awesome and they're, you know, but they're it's definitely a world of there isn't dole doesn't necessarily have like you know a vibe you know i mean yep. earthbound i guess kind of is like the organic version but does the buyer understand what you're building beyond just the ring yeah we i mean it obviously varies generally yeah. speaking we found them too it's also confusing still in some ways because at some retailers the frozen fruit and frozen ice cream buyer are the same person. And mm-hmm. at many, especially the larger ones there, they, they can be different people. Mm-hmm. Um, so that definitely plays a factor as well on, on what resonates and, and how it resonates and how we want to tell the story. Right. But I do think the buyers that are more frozen fruit focused, like love that this, um, sexy growing brand is wanting to merchandise with Mm -hmm. them and that they want to drive traffic to the frozen fruit aisle and that they want to sit next to the bagged fruit. And we've found to to a point you made earlier that we find our customer finds us there because our customer is the person buying frozen to make their own own smoothies. And they're maybe also a frozen dessert buyer or frozen ice cream buyer, but they're definitely spending time in the fruit aisle. If you look at sort of the average yeah. Sweet Nothings customer. And so once they're there to have point. that product, that's they see it's organic. They see it only has five ingredients and there's no added sugar and it's plant-based. And they go, wow, this is what I make at home. But how nice would it be to have a couple of these in my freezer for that afternoon that's too hectic to make a snack myself? Mm-hmm. No, I think this is all really interesting. And I mean, you know, I love social nature and I love Analea. And, you know, we're doing, I guess, more more campaigns around launches. But I also think that, you know, some of this stuff, you know, the occasions, when are you eating us? How would you explain this to your friends? What else do you buy when you buy us? Those are just critical questions. And, you know, we've talked about this on the podcast too. 
before you even use any real data, if you guys are just starting and you have anyone on Instagram, it might not be like, you know, data that you can publish, but it's definitely going to give you an idea. I mean, I spent a lot of time early on Instagram asking a lot of questions. Do you like us because we're vegan? Do you like us because we're gluten-free? Or do you like us because we make your life easier? And what's the most important? Because, you know, every one of us that's starting something, I'm sure, you know, Jake, you feel the same way. There are 15 things that we can lead with, but consumers really kind of only have a, like, they want to hear one, two, maybe three. So if you are listing out your 15 attributes, you've lost them before you've gotten them. And knowing which ones to put kind of at the top is hard when you're doing a lot of things that are innovative. Yeah. And and I think it only, some of it only comes with time, right? Like you can ask as many questions up front as you want. And I think it's very helpful. We definitely did the same with a lot of Instagram surveys and all those things. But I also feel like a lot of our learnings just came from being in the market and Mm -hmm. hearing from different regions and hearing similar themes. So we were eager for a while to to rebrand the product. I know I mentioned to you that we also yeah, work with get Jolene. There and, after and, door one and two. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Okay. But <laughs> I think the, the preview there is just like, it was so obvious to us now what we needed to share, what we needed to shout to a consumer when right. the first time around, just like with all of our marketing and our website, et cetera, when we first started, it was no added sugar, plant-based, gluten-free, vegan, mm-hmm. organic. You can name off the 15 attributes. Mm-hmm. And um, I know Doug from Halo Top and all the, the podcasts he always does, it's like they eventually figured out that the one thing people cared about with Halo Top were the calories, yep. you know? James, they, I get, it's James Richardson's book. When he talks about Halo Top, you know, I always talk about that ramping your brand book because I think it's 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 so good. I don't know yep. if you've read it or you yeah, know, yeah, of course. follow him, but um, yeah, he's basically like, they were like chipping away at everything until one day they just realized like, oh wait, this is like selling weight loss. And then that was it. And then it was just boom from there. Um, okay. Going back to door one and door two, we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but channel mix in terms of, you know, you guys were starting and you, you were in offices Um, When I think we first met, it was primarily direct to consumer, which I imagine, you know, you had the most beautiful unboxing experience and I'm sure that was expensive. So I'm curious about that. How are you thinking about just, you know, sales channels now? And what would you say the big learnings have been? Yeah. So yeah, to your point, we started really when we launched in late 2019 with corporate cafeterias for a few reasons. One thought it was a great product for that 3 PM mm-hmm. slump um, in a yep. corporate cafeteria and and the sales suggested so as well. But I also think the honest answer is part of it was just how intimidating retail was to us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we said like, let's get our feet wet and learn more about the product and what people are liking and why before we make that plunge, knowing that once you start, you can't stop really. Um, but that experiment lasted a lot, a lot shorter than expected right. with with COVID. So as COVID hit, um, we had started having some conversations with retailers 
um, on the D2C side, it was never, it's never been a huge percent of our business, like mm-hmm. never more than 10% or right. so. Um, I think really for trial for it's the really samples. passionate yeah. consumer, it, it sort of came about organically in a way of as we're trying to get samples to buyers, how do we make a great first impression mm-hmm. knowing that we're not going to be able to be in person with them? And we designed it around that. And yeah. then we realized that through our three PLs and our shipping and all that stuff, it wasn't going to be a profitable channel, but mm-hmm. if we could just not lose money on it and it grows top line and helps build the brand and yep. allows us to get into more hands, it's worth it. So yep. that's really yep. how we've approached DC. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, that's exactly how we're doing it too. I think, you know, when the pandemic happened, we probably like a lot of other companies were like, Oh, we got to spend on, you know, we launched, I think everyone knows we launched in whole foods globally, April 5th of 2020. (laughs) And we just forget about sampling. It was like the world fell apart. Um, so we very quickly were like, all right, we need to do targeted sort of geographic Instagram ads and Facebook ads to people who live within five miles of the top 15 or 20 Whole Foods that we wanted to demo in um, just to get people to recognize the pouches and just make those impressions. We consequently stopped doing any sort of ads on you know, trying to get people to buy it directly. Um, Even though we weren't really trying to get, it's interesting, right? Like we weren't actually trying to build the D2C channel out as like our main way of having it grow. But we did need to have, sort of have it be there for people who wanted it. And like you said, growing the brand and building awareness, you know, but it, those ads just became too expensive, you know, in either direction, either supporting retailers where you can't track them at all because you have no idea if someone's buying something because they saw an ad or not, or D to C where it's, you know, the minute that they you've paid for that ad, you have like, you know, a cost of acquisition that's more than you're, you're making on that customer. So right. ever, ever. <laughs> yeah. um, so Okay, which leads me into the, I believe, door number two, which is going into Shelf Stable. Um, It's interesting because you're the second guest I've had on in Jordan was also, I think she might have been at Impossible later than you, but she was also there. And Sunwink is going from sort of the herbal elixir drinks into powders, um, which I, my guess is has something to do with the costs. Shipping um, glass bottles. <laughs> and shipping glass bottles. In her case, it was also very much like you said, you know, consumers wanted it sparkling or they wanted it hot or they wanted it in you know tap water they didn't necessarily need the bottle they just needed the kind of elixir and they wanted to do what they wanted to do with it yeah Um, so that was very serendipitous that all said for her I said the same thing and to you now you're sort of starting from scratch because these buyers are totally different buyers and totally different categories 
how's that going and and how have you sort of I know you know that and you've planned it out. So what are your thoughts about all of it? Yeah, yeah. Um, I love that episode with Jordan. So Jordan was at Impossible even earlier than me, and I have a oh, text wow. chain with her and Eliza to commiserate over all the trials and tribulations we deal with every week. Um, and and I love what I love what they're doing. I also wanted to last quick thing on door one that I think yeah. could potentially be helpful <laughs> uh -huh. is just around like third party e-commerce platforms mm -hmm. for new brands. Yeah. And, and for those who are listening, who are building brands now, like we have been shocked at how much of our growth has been thrive, fresh mm -hmm. direct, go puff, um, good eggs, those types of yep. platforms. And imperfect I think a lot can of it, huge too. Mm -hmm. I've heard imperfect is massive. The frozen's been an issue on that front because they only yeah. do refrigerated, but thrive like, doesn't do refrigerated. They only do yeah. frozen. Yeah, exactly. That's a, that's our trade, I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but just from a consumer education piece, like to your mm -hmm. point on it's April, 2020, you're launching in every whole foods and you can't reach anyone. Like we can spend money to get a banner on fresh direct or do mm -hmm. a, two for four on Thrive or yep. do a, a, a five for 10 on GoPuff, which we've done successfully a few times now. And just being able to pull some levers and get in front of the consumer who would normally go to frozen fruit at a grocery store mm -hmm. has allowed those channels, I think, to grow and to see our velocities grow more so than anywhere else. Because in a way, pandemic or not doesn't really matter. And in some ways, the the pandemic mm -hmm. obviously helps because more people are on those platforms. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, it's very interesting to me to look back and think like our entire marketing plan for the year of 2020 was in-store demos across the country. And it just went poof. Right. And we literally Overnight. were like, well, on one hand, okay. But on the other hand, like that was a big bet too. You know, like looking back, I wonder if, you know, I don't know. I mean, it, it was it was the way Sir Kensington's built it out. And it was sort of old school, natural channel, you know, demo, 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 demo. Um, I just wonder now, you know, it's just interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're having those debates internally as we talk about the Sprouts launch and a few others later this year of like, yeah what to do on the demo front. Another yeah. one that's sort of hard on the attribution side too. You you can do it, but it's not, it's by no means exact. Yeah. And I think, you know, like I've said this before too, and you've heard me say it, if you're a salty snack or you're a beverage or you're a chocolate, yeah, I think demo all day, every day. If you're a sauce that either requires <laughs> some other food or some cooking or, you know, just a little bit, it's not, you can't just, you know, when it was squirting some into like a cup with the spoon, you know, you could, but it doesn't you know, really especially when it can't be you at every store. Right. Like, well, that is for sure. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's yeah. go. Let's talk about that refresh or rebrand or however we want to talk about it. I did have Jolene on that was people loved that episode. She is the best. You know, I love her so yeah. much. Um, me too. And yeah, I mean, tell me, you know, Tell me about that experience. So just so if you haven't listened before, TWA is the working assembly. They're the, you know, design agency plus um, that helped us with our um, refresh once we closed the cooking school and needed a new logo and 
We wanted to bring color and QR codes and do all sorts of fun things on our pouches. We needed fonts because we didn't have any, all of that stuff. Um, what, what is, where did you start? What were your goals? What was that road like for you? And where are you now? Yeah. Where are we now is, uh, tomorrow, actually, I'll see Jolene because we're doing a big photo shoot out in, uh, in Brooklyn with all the new stuff. So so she's going to, she's going to come for a few hours. It's one of those, like uh, most of the days obviously are so much less sexy than people imagine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's one of those days where you're like, yeah, Yeah. you're like, wow, this is cool. This is fun. Um, so we really, I think have known for, um, I'd say the better part of a year that eventually we wanted to rebrand. I think Mm -hmm. our products and how we branded them initially are beautiful and they're aesthetically pleasing, but behind a frozen door, they're really easy to miss. And until you understand what the product is and are familiar with the brand, Mm -hmm. you pick it up and you're sort of confused, right? Like we, we have on there in small letters, spoonable smoothie and on the back somewhere it says no added sugar and there's an organic sticker, but like, I do not blame the average customer to think, oh, this is ice cream. And then Mm -hmm. to taste it and be like, oh, it's not really ice cream. Mm -hmm, And to to be confused. Like, so we interviewed and by, by we Lucy on my, uh, my colleague, Lucy gets all the credit because she went through most of the process, but interviewed tons of different potential partners Mm -hmm. on this rebrand. And I think what really helped is the conviction we had in wanting to go bolder, wanting to go a little bit louder, more clear what the product is, pick our top two priorities to really highlight, unpack. I'll uh, I'll text you some some pictures after the fact. I'd love yeah, to hear what you think. But I can't wait. I think we were pretty clear on what we needed to accomplish and the major pain points of we don't want people to ever confuse this for ice cream again. And we want them to know that it's organic and plant-based with no added sugar. And right. those are the things we care about. And you couldn't um, have really done that. You really needed the time. Like, in a way, it's a re-whatever, but in a way, it's just an evolution, right? Because you didn't know that that was going to be what you needed to say front and center until you really were in market and you saw the way people were responding. Right. I mean, in retrospect, sometimes it feels so obvious that this is where eventually we needed to go, but mm-hmm. it was never, right? Hindsight's hindsight's right. twenty twenty, And really just... I mean, I think you had a similar similar experience, but TWA just from day one really felt like they got it. Like I feel like this is becoming a commercial for them. But yeah, no, um, it's, I usually it's a, I, most of my episodes are rodeo, TWA, <laughs> and Analea and social nature. Like yeah. if I had to just be like, if you don't know what the hell to do, go to those three people and they'll help you figure out what to do. I think but that I think anyway, that's right. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And really just like working with her and her team on those major pain points. The last one I'd say is we skew too feminine and, and mm-hmm. too female. It was very sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. The name, the heart, the pink. Is it still going to be Sweet Nothings? It will still be Sweet Nothings. Okay. Um, but otherwise, like... No heart. Um, no, no heart, no, no pink. Um, uh-huh. It's... The name stays, but the the look and feel changes, and of course, the spirit of what we're trying to do and why all all stays the same as well. But just yeah. think we can articulate it much better. So, um, Beth 
Lucy, our, our marketing director, and, and I spent a lot of time thinking through the different options, the pros and cons, how to approach it. But that team's experience doing this and, and doing such a great job with you and with um, Partake and Sanzo and all these mm-hmm. brands that we admire and think do a beautiful job of articulating what they are on shelf um, gave us a lot of confidence in working with them. And in, I guess, you know, what, what was the low point in that, in that experience and how did it resolve? Like, what did it bring up for you? That's a good question. I think part of it is just now almost <laughs> in some mm-hmm. ways feels like the low point, right? Like it's the most exciting, but it's also. You're just waiting like until this how, new stuff is in right, there and you can't right. stand looking at your old stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, how is this? Like, this can't be what we have on shelf. We I know. need to really push. Like, how do we get, how do we make this all happen quicker and yep. produce faster and get through inventory faster? Yep. And I know I need to be patient and I'm lucky that it's only January. And, and with Frozen, of course, the big selling season um, mm-hmm. is the summer. So we have some time, but I am so eager to get it out into the world and really proud of it. Yeah, it's so funny because we have, you know, our new pouches are rolling out as we speak. So people are sending me like shelfies and it's like the old pouch next to the new pouch. And I'm, I like, I'm like, you know, the the, the old (laughs) pouch just looks so old, you know, and it looks so thud ish. Like it just is, it lands with just like a thud, you know, I I mean, and that's just me. I, I designed it. So that I'm not insulting anyone. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, but I mean, I didn't, I didn't design the original pouch. The original pouch was quite beautiful, but the two iterations in between the original and the new one, I basically led the way on that. Um, which, uh, you know, is why I'm not <laughs> a designer. Um, <laughs> but yes. Yeah, so, and then going back, because I think, you know, again, going back to, you just said like your peak season for Frozen, but I don't know that we totally covered the move into shelf stable. No, I don't, I don't so, think we quite got to door yeah. two. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah. And in some ways it's related to the, the rebrand. Like I think mm-hmm. the big lesson I've learned building this company over the last almost three years has really been just like, you need to be flexible. And there's a uh, obviously a balance between like having conviction in what you're doing and being persistent in that, Mm -hmm. but also listening to your customers and the market and being really honest with yourself. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. I love the sailboat analogy back to that. So with, with the rebrand knowing, okay, we could have dug our heels in and said, we're going to make this branding work, but it's the time and money investment. That's well worth it. Just like as we've changed flavors and changed formulations, like, I don't think there's probably ever been the history in, in the history of CPG, a company that gets any of it right, let alone all of it right on the on the mm-hmm. first time. So when I speak to founders who are a little bit earlier on in their in their company life, like I feel like that's my number one piece of advice. A lot of the times is like be really flexible, like have conviction in what you care about and why and don't be flexible on those pieces. But on everything else, understand that there's no way you're nailing it this first time. <laughs> yeah, which is actually, I mean, we are going to get to shelf stable, but I do want to just say like you and I, before we started recording, we're talking about hiring. Um, and I'm just in this 
I just, I'm trying to build out an org chart. I'm trying to make job descriptions, you know, so that I can build this team. But every time I meet someone, I'm like, oh, wait, but if I, but they could, they have this experience and then I could maybe shift some of this out of sales and into ops or out of ops and into finance or out of finance. And it's, you know, and I'm trying to have it all tidy so that I can just plug in people and they can know what they're expected to do. And my team currently knows what these people are coming in to do. Um, but on the other hand, I just feel like it's so chaotic and they're all of these really bright, amazing people. I'm just, I just don't know the right way to build it. So I feel like that boat again. And I'm like, one day I'm like, I definitely need a chief of staff. And the next day I'm like, I don't need that. I definitely need a controller. <laughs> and then the next day, you know, and I'm just, I'm trying to, to be flexible. Um, but it's hard when you don't know, you know, like you said something really important. You have to have conviction about what you care about. What I care about is, is the culture that we've created you know, the fact that we are, we listen to each other and, you know, at the end of the day, we want this place to be someplace that is accretive to your life. Right. Other than that, like, I mean, and I, of course I care about the product and I care about the brand, but when it comes to building the team, that's what I care about. I don't care if you've been doing this for five years, or if you're a big CPG, if you're a startup or whatever. So I don't know how to balance what you're, I don't know what those things are that I have to have conviction about other than just don't be an asshole, you know? And so everything else kind of feels a little murky to me. So can you help me a little bit, Jake? <laughs> I, I can, uh, I can empathize with you. I, I totally get the, um, first the needs changing all the time mm -hmm. um i think a major the, the don't be an asshole rule i think is great and very important. assholes don't think they're assholes by the way yes yes except every once in a while you'll meet one who's like i'm actually it. a jerk yeah 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 and you're like, it's a point I'm of glad pride you know that yeah <laughs> yeah thanks for sharing now <laughs> um i think another principle that we've really stuck to on hiring is mm -hmm. this idea of no job too small. Yes. Of and, and I know that starts with with me and it starts with Beth and we try to embody that in the everyday sweet nothings stuff. I like still order packaging and coordinate mm -hmm. freight, you know, like I think you just have to, but finding that's the sweet spot we found of people who are passionate have experience, experience. doing this before but still don't have an ego, don't need yeah. a full team, are more than happy to roll up their sleeves, almost want to and crave that sort of back in an operating role versus just the managing people role. And not that that's easy to, to sort for. And I think right. we've gotten really lucky with the people we have around the table, but that is a common trait that I have noticed amongst our team is that mindset. Yeah, I mean, and that's interesting, right? Because, you know, partly I'm like, you know, I want them to be able to come in and build systems because I don't want them necessarily to figure out how to build a system, right? I want them to come in being able to build a system and and adapt it to to suit us. 
And also a lot of people that have worked at big CPG and have been in the industry for a long time are so far removed from the building of those systems that they are just in them. And I don't want to be, I don't want to shell shock anyone. This is so startup-y, even though, you know, we're three years in and, you know, a nice, you know, sales number, we're still so startup-y and it's not for everybody, you know? So I think, I think sometimes people think they, they're okay with that, but then when they get, they get there, they're like, oh, wait, you what, you know? And I'm, I'm definitely kind of turned around on the hiring stuff. I will say, if you haven't noticed. Okay, for our last couple of minutes, I would like to talk about shelf stable. And I would like to talk about sort of, you know, you said what it started with what people expected to some extent of the brand and how they're eating you and choosing you and why. And I'd like to just hear again, like sort of, you know, the decision tree leading you to, I'm imagining you are launching products somewhere and when. Yeah. Um, so, and I wasn't intentionally. No, I know. It's just two. funny because we we've avoided door two. For <laughs> we have, we have. Um, yeah. So we, we are just launching this nut butter bite product, um, which I'm really excited about and continue to, to snack on. Mm-hmm. I, I think for us, as we sort of took a step back and reflected on what went really well, over the last few years since launching and and what we wanted to improve on going forward, it felt like there were a lot of relationships we had built where Frozen did not make sense and would never make sense. Mm-hmm. And we were trying to sort of, whatever the saying, push a square peg in a round mm-hmm. hole. Which never where works. Never works. Whether it was some food service accounts or an online marketplace or whatever it was, we just felt like these are potential customers who really resonate with our brand mission, with our branding, with what we're doing. But like, it doesn't make sense for any of us to be trying Mm -hmm. to make frozen work. And so for a while, Beth and I have been daydreaming about the day where we would have a shelf stable product to work with these channels on knowing we wanted to work with them in more significant ways, but knowing it had been limited in how we could work with them to date. And this is a product that we had talked about for a while and met and with cool packers about for a while. Yep. Exactly. And it still adheres to all of our brand principles. It's organic, no added sugar, plant-based, um, a snack that is fun and innovative with all of our products, the spoonable smoothies, the nut butter bites, the, the other frozen line we're launching. We wanted to come up with names that felt fun and felt different and products that adhered to those brand principles, but also helped people hopefully see that healthy can and should taste delicious. So now as we look into 2022 and the launch of this Nut Butter Bite product, like I'm so excited for the channels that we can mm-hmm. play more of a role in that, that we never could. makes so much sense. It makes so much sense. I mean, like you said, you could go, you know, if we had a shelf stable product, we could go to Thrive, you know, or, I mean, there's so many right. even, you know, and the bigger ones and the mass ones and all of it. But I, so I guess, you know, just, you know, honing in on what you said a little bit, are there going to be stores where they have both? Or are you really thinking about this as a way to just to start off with, you know, this will be an easier thing for direct to consumer, for example, this will be an easier thing for an imperfect. And like, are you going to different places with it? Or are you going 
Because I think my concern has always been like being in too many different places in the supermarket too early. Yeah. Um, but what I like about what you're saying is that you're actually, you're not really thinking about necessarily, if it, if it happens, that's nice, but you're not so focused on building out multiple categories in the same store. If yeah, I'm hearing you right. exactly. We're really focused on alt channels as we right. talk about it internally. So for our frozen spoonable smoothies and for the new frozen line that we're, we're launching, we work with presence on that on the brokerage side. Those are in UNFI and Kehi, and the new line will be as well. That is not the path at all for these mm-hmm. nut butter bites. Right. We are going more on food service, on coffee shops, on those third-party marketplaces like the fairs and the Mabels mm-hmm. and the bubbles of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And just all these Amazon.com, which we've never been able to play in. So right. just a lot of these channels that we've been excited about. We know our peers who do shelf stable have had great success in and it allows us to build the brand and continue to build the brand so when that amazon.com or that fair customer goes into a whole foods and or sprouts they see the the frozen product and are already familiar with the brand but um doesn't overwhelm in a single supermarket yep that is awesome so cool i'm so glad we got to door two because it (laughs) it's really good food for thought we made it we made it um all right. And you already gave your flexibility thing. So I'm going to go with that, with the, you know, with the biggest lesson and the thing you would shout on your bullhorn, which yes. I've never verified if that is the accurate word, but I, <laughs> sometimes I just say things and I assume that everyone listening knows what I mean. Like a megaphone? Yeah. Is that, word? Is yeah. that a bullhorn? I think I it's know. a bullhorn. Anyway, you might be right. if, if, yes. if it's not, okay. Yeah, I think um, the, le- the yeah, exactly. The lesson is there's, a very, very small probability you got it right the first time. <laughs> yeah. So Jake, now that we've had an hour together, as a weekly listener of In the Sauce podcast, I would like to know if it lived up to your fantasies <laughs> of being on the other side. It did, because there's so a lot of these topics we covered today, as you've alluded to them or touched on them in other sessions, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to chat through that with Allie and, and get her perspective as a relate because of all those similarities that we've touched on. Like, it, it feels like a parallel path between yeah. refrigerated sauce and frozen spoonable smoothies, but in a lot of ways, so many of the same uh, yeah. pain no, points. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And last question, final question. When you wrote me your email, did you mean to say, does your mother work at Sweet Nothings? She does. Okay, that's amazing. Yeah. I'm not going to call it building with your mom because I can't, but <laughs> I would. But tell me what she does, does. She do there. She does customer service. So if you ever <laughs> love it, send an email to hello at Eat Sweet Nothings, you've heard from my mom. She does a lot like she's sales coordinator, so she does retail launch kits and she calls and welcomes new stores when we launch with them right um she's just been she's a a a favorite on the team internally everyone (laughs) thinks she's funnier than I ever thought she was that's amazing Um, it's been really fun it's been special I think that's amazing all right Jake thank you so much for coming and thank you for you know I always send a little draft based on what I can kind of research but you know it's it's certainly made for a great conversation having you say, 
I also think this might be interesting to talk about. So I really appreciate it because I think this was one of the juicier discussions I've had in a long time and certainly gave me a lot of um, food for thought, no pun intended. Um, so thank you. Yeah, thank you. Great to chat and hopefully see you soon in New York. And what am I going to say next? Thank you, Armin. Thank you, Armin, for engineering the show today. Um, as always, you know, I read about people who do their own podcast stuff. I <laughs> would fail miserably, so cannot appreciate you, Armin, or Heritage Radio Network anymore. Um, thank you. And listeners, thank you so much as always. And I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>